0: Welcome back. Welcome to Parenting Our Future. I'm really excited to bring you someone today who I so admire. On today's episode, I have Angela Crocker, and she has been called the Anne Landers of digital living, making sense of online life for thousands of digital citizens. Her expertise includes education technology, digital parenting, online communities, digital decluttering, content planning, and more. Angela's work as an author, speaker, and educator to help individuals, schools, and businesses navigate their digital life. So she's also an author of, count them, six books, including Digital Life Skills for Youth, Declutter Your Data, and The Content Planner. And you can learn more about what Angela does at AngelaCrocker.com. And I'm going to leave that for you in the show notes because I know you're going to want to check her out. She is also a proud mom of a 13-year-old boy. She says that is her most important role. And uh, today we're going to be talking about her latest book, which is literally just hitting shelves. And you can get it all over the world. It is called Digital Life Skills for Youth. And, you know, in, in Angela's book, she talks about the fact that Age 11 to 18, this age group has more access to technology than any other generation. And I think that it is such a difficult world to navigate for us parents because it's new for us as well. So Angela, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hello, Robin, and hello to all your listeners. Hello. Yes. So really what I want to start off by asking you is what can parents do to build healthy boundaries with all this technology?
1: Well, I think the the most valuable things you can do are around those boundaries and figuring out what works for your family. I should start by saying that in the book I describe that every youth is unique. There is no one-size-fits-all prescription, so you have to Mm -hmm. choose boundaries that suit the maturity, the age of your particular child. and those boundaries have to include some healthy habits. Um, one of the big concerns around kids and youth and even adults and media, technology, digital living is the mental health impact and how difficult it can be for us to detach from our online lives. So in order to do that, I draw from the American um, American Psychology Association where they talk about different boundaries that include things like Are you eating healthy meals? Are you getting an hour or more of physical exercise? Are you getting outdoors? Are you having meaningful discussions with family members? Are you looking after your personal hygiene? Now, teenage years in hygiene can be challenging regardless. You know, there's this whole introduction of showering more often and flossing teeth and braces and all sorts of things. Um, But that's one of many different boundaries that you can put in place. And if those boundaries are happening, then the time left for technology, time left to go online. You can't floss your teeth and be on your iPad. It's just impossible. Um, but if you have all of these things in place, you can then feel more comfortable with your youth being on a, a screen. And they have so many very many reasons to be on screen these days. Not just their gaming and their social media habits and their texting communication with friends, but also potentially a really heavy homework load. Certainly, older teens are you know, spending hours and hours every day watching videos, writing essays, creating videos, creating audio, uh, making PowerPoint presentations. They need a lot of screen time. Um, And if it turns out that their academic load is too much for them to maintain those healthy habits that are the boundaries that will keep them hopefully healthier, uh, then it's time for a conversation with the teachers and, you know, see what can be shifted around and maybe juggle the load
0: okay I uh, that's really interesting what you're saying so you're saying first really kind of have a checklist right which you actually include in the book which is fantastic genius a checklist of okay is my child meeting the basic needs are they eating healthy are they exercising are they having actual human contact conversations are they you know getting the things that they need to do in their life done outside of the world of technology and screens and then really the rest of it is is filled in as you need it and and you're saying that there is no one size that fits all it's really let's look at the situation what 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 do you need a screen for for homework what do you need it for for fun for contact with other people right is is that that's what you're saying that's absolutely
1: what i'm saying and and i think there's another layer of it too in terms of screen time Um, you'll read headlines that say, oh, anything more than two hours of screen time is a problem. Or there's another study I read that said four hours and 26 minutes a day or less has no long-term detrimental effect, which is a really specific number. Um, What I think is important is to look at the individual child Mm -hmm. Uh, as they're, they're moving from childhood into teenagehood and heading towards being fully functional adults. They're going to transition in those teen tween years. Everyone is going to be different, mm-hmm. and what their maturity level, what their ability to self-regulate, what their unique needs are, are going to vary by from one youth to another. Mm-hmm. And we have to respect that. I get really frustrated when I read advice that says, you know, every 14-year-old should have X hour screen time. Well, maybe that 14-year-old can handle that much, but maybe another 14-year-old needs half as much, and another 14-year-old could do twice as much. Uh, it's it's something that parents and teachers and other guardians involved uh, need to be aware of. You know how the teen is doing. You know are they maintaining those social relationships and other boundaries that we were talking about? Uh, and oh, go ahead. What would you like to say?
0: No, I I, I really want to circle it back to that mental health piece, right? Because I think it is really important, right? We we you you talk about it in the book, right? You say that there is, uh, and 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 I may not get this exactly right, so please correct me that that really there is this more instances of of mental health issues anxiety that sort of thing which also correlates to this new access to technology but it doesn't eat, eat one doesn't equal necessarily the other is that is that right is that what you that's exactly what you're
1: yeah yes there's studies that are certainly showing that there is you know, the rise of social media the rise of mobile phone use the rise of accessibility to the internet Uh, is corresponding with rises in instances of teen anxiety, teen depression, Mm -hmm. uh, even teen suicide, which is very concerning. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and that trickles on into their young adulthood as well, so university-age students who would be sort of beyond the age of this book, but we're laying the foundation for their future. And so if there is this correlation between the technology uh, and the mental health piece, I think it's really important to be aware of you know what as much as you can and as a parent as a teacher it's hard you might have many kids you might have a busy life where you're working two jobs and struggling and maybe one of your kids has a special need but it takes more of your time and attention away from your other children um, those kinds of things uh, as best we can and I, I really feel like we shouldn't have any guilt as parents we're all doing the best that we can absolutely there is no wrong answer we're raising kids a And we're going to raise these wonderful human beings and they're going to be wonderful in whatever ways they evolve to. Uh, But in terms of their mental wellness and their technology use, um, I do talk in the book. I actually rewrote the book late in the manuscript process to add an entire chapter uh, around this. And I really wanted to emphasize the importance of mental health issues. And in the book, I outline some of the behaviors that we might see mm-hmm. uh, if there's cause for a concern. It's not to say that an outburst of anger isn't just a legitimate outburst of anger. We all need to express our emotions. Um, but a pattern of outbursts of anger might be an indication of something more uh similarly things like isolation or they kind of tie back to those boundaries if they're not following their usual hygiene routines or there's a sudden change that is of concern now bear in mind i am not a psychologist nor a psychiatrist so i've done extensive research on this and rewritten it in layman's terms so that everyday families can you know quickly read this book and kind of get a a sense of what's happening Uh, And I include a bunch of strategies for what to do if you think your youth is having some mental health problems. If it's a serious, you know, acute emergency situation, do call 911 or get them to an emergency room. If it's something a little less urgent, you know, consult with your doctor, uh, family, family counseling services, school counselors, there's a whole bunch of of services available and frankly, accessing mental health supports, uh, is a big advocacy job for parents, teachers, and others who are involved with kids. So, uh, you know, it's the sooner we can notice the symptoms, uh, hopefully the sooner we will have success. And mm-hmm. for those parents that are struggling with an extreme situation, uh, I I offer them some supports as well as best I can. And, and, and here mm-hmm. in this audio, I want them to hear that uh, I, they're not alone. There are lots of parents that are struggling and it is hard. And. You haven't
0: done anything wrong. You're doing the best that you can. Yeah, absolutely. So, and 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 look, that that is worst case scenario. That's not everybody. That's not every child is going to fall into that. That is worst case scenario. And you do give resources for where where to go if if you're struggling, if your child is struggling, if you notice things that aren't right. So, I really appreciate that. And, and you have written it in a way that is very easy to 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 take in and understand, and move forward with action steps. So you know, one of the things that I, I want to ask is, you know, in this, I think your book is about youth, right? So you're talking about age 11. Is that right? 11 to 18. That's what right. yeah. you're talking about, right? But I think this might be an overarching question that can really be for any age. And really, when should kids have access? I have my own opinions about that, but I'm curious what yours are.
1: <laughs> sure. Well, and my opinion is not a one size fits all solution. Um, I think that it's important to look at each youth as an individual and this can be tricky in families because you know one child might be ready when they're 11 and the next child might not be ready till they're 14 Uh, and it's a a variety of factors that influence what technology that they are going to have access to and that might be a family computer in a common area of your home Uh, it might be they have a, a shared tablet that can be used in the family room it might be that they have individual tablets or their own personal mobile phones. They might have their own laptop or that they take back and forth to school for schoolwork? Figuring out when they have access to that is not age-based, in my opinion. Uh, it is very much about what, are their, what is their ability to look after that technology. Do they have the maturity to look after it safely and not have it cracked, not lose it, to keep it charged, to do all those sorts of things. Then, do they have the self regulation skills to go online for a period of time and then come offline in a healthy way? Um, my son and I sometimes call this transition trouble. He's 13 and he's pretty good at it, but we do have these moments, you know, days when maybe he's online longer than usual. And when he comes offline, he has transition trouble. But the mm-hmm. reason we came up with that phrase is I have transition trouble too. If I'm in the middle of something on my computer and he comes home from school, I too have trouble, and I think that parents' ability to model those sorts of things, uh, whether it's transition trouble or something else, are really important because our kids are learning our habits from us. And so as a family, you have to think about where technology plays a role in your family. This influences how you give your youth access. What can your family afford? If you have four kids, you know, to buy four tablets, four laptops, four mobile phones, and internet access, Uh, you know, data plans, all of that, you've got to be a very wealthy family to be able (laughs) to do (laughs) that.
0: Totally.
1: So very likely, you know, financial aspects will influence you. Hmm. I think it's also important to know that there are some kids and youth and adults, again, who need technology for specific medical reasons. Maybe they have uh, an insulin pump that speaks to their mobile phone and it's automated and it's constantly checking, well, not constantly, but it's frequently checking their blood sugar, Uh, and dosing them with insulin as needed. Well, in order to use that device, uh, many of them require an app on a mobile phone that's connected to data. If your child has type 1 diabetes, you're gonna spend any amount of money you can to give them the tools that you need. Uh, Now that tool isn't for everybody, and there are many other instances. If your child is on the autism spectrum, if your child, pardon me, if your child has um, vocalization issues, hearing impairments, visual impairments, cognitive impairments of any sort, mm-hmm. you may be using technology to accommodate and allow them to participate in a different way. Right. So the long answer becomes a short answer. Every kid is different, and when they're ready, is gonna be variable.
0: Yeah, okay, and, and, and I'm gonna share my thoughts because what I know for sure, and actually you and I have talked about this in person, is that it's never the fault of the technology right it's it, it, and and when i when i say you know when should kids have access you know it, look it's up to you as a parent it, it's not about doing what everybody else is doing right just because you know your your child's best friend has their own tablet it doesn't mean you get it you have to do what's right for you and your family it's not about keeping up with the joneses it's not about just doing it because it's it's what everybody else is doing it has to be an authentic yes to you you have to say yes this is something that my child is, like you say, mature enough, responsible enough, and it's okay for them to have this. If not, then they share one or borrow one or whatever. Maybe they have a slow entry into this. Um, but one of the things that I also think, so so when I say it's not the fault of the technology, it's our it's it's our fault because we're not you know, if if we give it to a child and they're not ready, then it's one more thing we have to police. One more thing that then we use as punishment. Well, you were rude to me, so now I'm taking your tablet away. Like, I don't agree with that. You know, I agree with um, maybe a tablet taking a break if there is an abuse of the tablet or on the tablet or, or something like that. So I think that A, it has to be an authentic yes from you and you also have to recognize that sometimes your kids will agree to things that they don't actually know or understand what they're agreeing to so you've really got to be careful with this and of course like you just said modeling the the right way to do things is something I think that we're learning too as parents right so it's just this this complicated this complicated subject, which is why I'm so glad that you're here to help us through this because, you know, I think even, uh, even in my own family, we've had trouble, right? Our, our kids game and they play on their phones, they watch YouTube and, um, and, and it's something new for, for my husband and I to navigate too. So I know that we don't have all the right answers, but what I really like is that you are also saying, Hey, look, we can make mistakes you're only ever doing your best and uh it's individual for everyone so i just i so appreciate that from you because that is what i tell parents about many different subjects you know and 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 i'm I'm so so happy that you echo that as well so um when you're, you're you're talking about youth and and we talked about so access for kids on devices um i i wonder how do you teach self-regulation then? If, if that's the part that really is tough for us and for our kids, how do you teach that? What, what, is, your, what is your thought on that?
1: Well, teaching self-regulation is a, a long, long lesson. We start when we're very little, really. Um, you know, learning to wait to ask a question when you're two or three is impossible, but we learn to regulate ourselves that way. Learning to raise your hand in school before you speak very difficult for kindergartners to get that concept of raising their hand but they do eventually. Um, So in terms of technology I think that there's a couple things we can do. Uh, Modeling we've already talked about. Uh, I also think it's helpful to very clearly articulate our expectations. You can't make up some rules in your head as a parent and assume that your youth is going to understand what those rules are in terms of self-regulation. So one of the things I provide in the book and I think it's going to be one of the most downloaded extra resources of this book is uh, two different kinds of contracts. One is an internet use contract and the other is a mobile phone contract and they're there in the format that you can take them and customize them. Um, These are things I have field tested. My son has lived with an internet use contract since he was four years old.
0: Okay. Four
1: years old. It's never too early to start. Wow. Uh, And I think that, Learning about, you know, that the people you are, you know, the basic lessons you want to start teaching your kids are, you know, aligned with stranger danger and privacy uh, and uh, what's an appropriate picture and when to ask for help. You no know, most kids are not going to be asked for a new photograph, although that is often a headline and it is definitely an issue. I'm not saying that there aren't kids that are, there are definitely youth that are. Um, but uh, if you're Eight-year-old, 11-year-old, 15-year-old hasn't had that conversation with you around what is okay and what is not okay. How do they know to self-regulate that? If they haven't been, how have it explained to them. Explain why privacy is important. Explain why it's important not to reveal your location. Uh, explain why it's important not to tell strangers your home address and that you're going on vacation for two weeks. Uh, if we don't articulate some of these things to our kids over time, you can't just brain bomb them with a whole bunch of rules right mm-hmm. off the bat. You're going to start slowly and pick and choose. You know, I, I often think that the the privacy and the you know, information to strangers is a good starting place. And if you haven't done that when they're less than 11, and you're just getting started when they're 11, well, I mean, start there. Uh, yeah. And the pace that you accelerate through these sorts of discussions to help them regulate their own use how much time they spend online and what activities they do. Um, that's gonna evolve over time. This is a long process. Parenting is not an overnight project. It's a 20 year project, it's a lifetime project.
0: Yeah, and I think what you're saying is, is, is so on point because yes, it's not like you teach manners in one day, right, it, it is over a long term. And I, I think what's a really important point that you're making is we need to relate our parenting values and expectations to the digital world, right? we have to remember that like we also need manners and we need you know not to be rude and swear at people just because we're anonymous in this world right more anonymous in the online world I catch my kids saying some things that I know they wouldn't say to people face to face Mm -hmm. and no and we have boundaries around that right I I think Essentially, it is, it, it, it is a scaffolding of support that we build around our kids with expectation and information, age-appropriate expectations, age-appropriate information, and you give such a, a, an, a, an awesome framework here for parents that don't even know where to start, right? And like you said, it, this is aimed at youth, but you know what? It, it still is important for you to know this now, regardless of where your child is at, regardless of their age. Absolutely. Right. I think
1: scaffolding is a really important word that you've built, Mm -hmm. uh, and in terms of screen time and self-regulation, you could start scaffolding their ability to go on and offline. Mm -hmm. Um, There are technologies. There are families that will use things that will turn off the router for per device at specific times of day. They're out online from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. and that's it. However, by using the technology, I've chosen not to use that technology in my family because I want my son to learn how to, oh, okay, it's approaching bedtime. I better go have a shower and get ready for bed and gear down. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my son. That's our family experience. If you need that technology to, to kill the internet the connection, and that's how you're gonna teach them self-regulation through that pattern of oh, three to 5 p.m. is our online time or whatever hours you choose, um, that's great. Uh, but over time, they're going to need more. By the time they're 18, they're adults. They mm-hmm. they, they they can do whatever they want. I mean, I don't know if they live in your household, maybe they they can't. But uh, we need to send them out in the world with that ability. Um, Absolutely. And it builds over time, as they learn how it impacts their their physical self, you know, if they're starting to gain weight, or they're now odorous because they haven't showered in three days. Like these are things of concern that are not actually anything to do with the screen, they're about living. And I often talk about how our real life, our in-person life and our digital life should be integrated. It's not about balancing the two for me, it's not that your online life is separate from the real life, the manners you have in real life, as you just said, should echo the manners that you think are appropriate online as well. And if there's an inconsistency, that's a confusing message for your youth we're trying to navigate this already confusing digital world, so
0: yeah.
1: uh, parenting consistency helps too.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and, and there's a couple of things I want to say. So one is the disconnection part of things. You know, um, you you talk about some parents, you know, have different different ways they do it. And, and and let me let me tell you what I what I tell parents to do. Right, when it comes to disconnecting your kids. Some parents will go into the room or, or, or go to their child, snatch their iPad away, unplug the Xbox from the wall, uh, usually done in anger, right? Because they've, they've, they've said, okay, time to get off, time to get off, you know, okay, put it away, put it away, and they don't listen. So what I ask parents to do is first go and connect with your child. Go and connect with them. Maybe sit with them for a minute and watch what they're watching. Or you know, say, hey, what does that character do? Or or you know, what's this show about? And get them out of this world because they're they're consumed in this world. If you ever watched anybody play Xbox, they're listening, the 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 you know, fully immersed, visually, um, auditory, and also their hands, the the controller is vibrating. You know, I mean, if if you were to just turn that off, like the flick of a switch, your dopamine levels crash. And everything's fine, but it, it, it actually can feel like physical pain. So we need to transition our kids in a, in a slow, soft way. But I also think we need to be realistic about it, right? One of the things that comes up a lot for the parents that I talk to is how long should I let my kid game for or, or what whatever, you know, it, and if you want to set a limit for, and, and I know you just said integration of technology, but I think if we're talking about just game time, let's say... I think for you to have a limit is a great idea, but also have some freedom within that framework where you can say to your child, look, this is the last game you can play. Your time is up. You've played for about an hour. How much longer do you need? Right? I've learned that as a parent because I know that it's not fair to just say, okay, shut it down right now because they're playing in a group or they're they're, they're doing a challenge or whatever. And it's unfair to me to just say, okay, that's it. Over. Right. And so I want parents to know what their kids are playing, know what they're doing so that they can work together. Because when you work together, you get more cooperation. Right. And everybody totally. is happier. That's how you live with technology. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Well, and I think you raise a really good point, Robin, that that social interaction piece. I think what what youth are doing on screens, there's different qualities of what they might be doing. So if they're just playing a small pocket game where they're mindlessly trying to level up and they're on their own, that, those kind of games are super fun. I play them, absolutely. They're, they're, they're fun puzzle games to play. Um, but the quality of that online time is very different. What if your youth is researching and writing uh, and making a video? What if they are doing the research and they're recording things with their friends and they're editing the video and they're recording the music, and writing the music, This is huge, this is huge creativity. Mm -hmm. Or what if your child, your youth, anyone's social life is online? One of the things I didn't expect as a parent when my son got to that sort of 11, 12 age and started to have more online time in specific approved online environments, uh, what I didn't realize was how much of his social life would no longer be in person and now it is online. And so when he's online and he's playing these, he's the map master in a game right at the moment. I sat with him yesterday, as you just suggested, because I I saw a map that looked like a map of the world, but the labeling was different. So somebody has turned the cartography of planet Earth into something else. Uh, So I just sat with him and was like, oh, what's that about? And he was the map master. And he was having this great time explaining it to me. And then his friends came online and they were ready to do the next part of the, the discussion. Well, it's summer break when we're recording this. He's not seeing his friends. We are going to be going on holidays. And so he won't have his computer. Like, absolutely. I let him stay online until 11 o'clock last night, which seems crazy on a weeknight. And it totally worked for our family. And it was about that social piece. I think the quality of what they're doing, um, if it's creative, if it's puzzle solving, if it's interactive, there's a whole bunch of things that might give cues for us as parents to allow more flexibility in those limits, whereas if they're just playing something solo and they're, it's kind of repetitive and they're not really learning anything new and they're not creating anything, maybe those are the areas where you're a little bit more firm. Uh, and how firm you are as a parenting choice as well, isn't it?
0: You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes. And for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. Okay, so let's, let's talk a little bit about tricky tactics. Uh, We were just talking about, you know, having kids go online and, and looking at online in a different way. Looking at it as like, what are they doing? What's the quality of the screen time that they have? Is it just gaming? Or is it different? One of my boys is in love with anime so he watches anime but he also watches videos on how to draw anime so half the time he's up there on a screen but he's also drawing so i don't have an issue with that because i know that he's doing something he loves he's being creative right and he's not just attached to a screen and he also talks to his friends they talk about anime they do all this great stuff so to me that is quality it's quality and it's fine i'm okay with that in my home that's okay with me so as kids get older though, you know, look, the 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 internet, the, the technology can get a little bit diabolical if you will, right? And there can be <laughs> things, maybe that's not the right word. But, was that my diabolical laugh? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was. Um, you know, uh, tell me, I love that you call this tricky tactics, right? And I think that there are some there are some really important things that parents need to absolutely know and 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 on that, I'm going to ask you a two-part question. What are these tricky tactics? And two, you know, what do you say to parents about looking through your kids' phones and checking out everything? So two, two-part question there.
1: Okay. Well, tricky tactics is, as you say, it's my label for a group of behaviors that are observed in teens uh, that, where they're trying to conceal um, or, or perhaps they're working around the rules they've been given in order to do things that maybe they shouldn't. Uh, And the tricky tactics fall in a variety of different categories. And while I have outed, if you will, a bunch of them in this book, uh, and I'm highlighting them for parents, and we'll talk about a few in just a moment, uh, it's also important for parents to be aware that youth are gonna be constantly innovating and coming up with new tricky tactics. And so a tricky tactic um, is anything where they're they're doing something that's uh, meant to conceal or meant to do a behavior that they're not, really supposed to do so great examples there are apps that they can use to that at a glance the icon looks like it's a calculator or maybe it's a map app or something but if you go in with pin number that's available it's actually a place where they can hide photos they can hide the photos maybe their friends are drinking alcohol maybe they're drinking alcohol Mm -hmm. Um, maybe they're dancing in outfits that they weren't the outfits they left home in and they're much skimpier than they were and um, you know, And as always, every family has different values around drinking, about appropriate attire, there's all sorts of things that are, have a scale. But the concern is that they're using these apps to hide those photos. Now, if someone should go in and try and, oh, well, there's a, it requires a pin, I'll just try a pin. Most of them have a self-destruct. So if someone puts the wrong pin in, any data that's in that app is gone.
0: That's diabolical.
1: Diabolical, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> wow. it's important to sort of, you know, be aware of, of, of these apps and potentially be, be checking your child's phone. Now, we're gonna come back to the second part of your question because I wanna describe a couple more tricky tactics events because it's not just about apps. Um, it's also possible and very common if you allow your youth to have an Instagram account. Guess what? They can have the account that you approved. They can also very easily with a unique email address open a second account. So they may have a whole curated for parental consumption digital life. And then there's a secondary account. And quite often, <laughs> these are silly. I know that one of my honorary nieces got caught out because she was sharing inappropriate photos and they were seen by a friend of her mom. Well screen capture, screen capture, screen capture, and it turns out that she has a secondary account. So that prompted a bunch of discussion. Mm. Now parents can go into the Instagram app, it's very straightforward, and you can actually look to see if there's more than one account active in the, in the app and you can uh, toggle between them. Have Google the how-to if that sounds overwhelming. Mm. Um, so knowing that, and that's, that's just an Instagram example, it's possible to have multiple accounts on all sorts of services. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's not always sort of app-driven, and this is where it, it can be extra challenging. So in schools, if your school is using something like Office 365 or Google Drive for students to share documents with their teachers and collaborate with classmates and do work, well, guess what? Those tools also have a chat function. And so it's quite easy for the students to duplicate the document that they're working on, and if they have, they're have, they spending the class. they look, industrious because they're working away, their fingers are on the keyboard, but really they're using the chat function and they're not doing the work. Hmm. So these are just three examples. I described many more in the book. There's lots of different ways that you can kind of get around. And as I said earlier, the the tactics are going to evolve over time. Uh, For parents, I think it's helpful to be aware of these tactics. It's something that you may or may not want to check for. It's certainly worth having a conversation with your youth. I've done that with my son to say, I'd much rather you didn't hide your online activity. And if there's something that you want to try or you feel like you'd like an online life where I'm not seeing it, uh, let's talk about that. Let's discuss what's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, you asked me the second part of your question about you know parents monitoring uh, their use phone. Again, this is a family decision. Uh, I have talked to parents who are all over every speck of what is in their child's phone, on their, on their computer. They review things at random. Uh, they review things regularly. I've also got parents on the far side of the spectrum who have never checked. Well, why would I check my child's phone? There's no need to check. Most of us fall somewhere in the middle where we want to keep an eye on what's going on. But again, scaffolds are built to that point where they can self-regulate and self-monitor and have the maturity to use it appropriately. Mm-hmm. And part of that discussion is often about teaching them about their digital footprint. Their actions online, whether their parents can see them or not, are going to follow them for a long time to come. And when they get to looking for jobs, when they get to applying to college or university or trade school or some other kind of specialized training, when they look to get a security clearance, say they get a government job and they need a high level of security clearance, well, all of these things they've done as youth could potentially come back to haunt them Uh, and so by having that discussion with your youth when they have the maturity to understand it i've had it with my son when he was 12 originally and we talk about it on and off throughout Um, your child might not be able to understand it or be interested in talking to you until they're 14. whatever works for your family Um, but talk about the legacy the longevity of that digital footprint uh, so that whatever goes on the internet stays on the internet is kind of our, our mantra. Now you can attempt to remove some things and uh, in theory you can clean it up. Uh, but as Fiona Birch said, who I quote in the book, she works with youth athletes, You know, the, the best management strategy is to be mindful about what you post right from the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now for parents, this whole process of checking is such an individual choice. Uh, I, I struggle with it when I see parents, what I, I I respect their choice to detail monitor their kids, but what are we, we're teaching them to accept big brother. We're teaching them to accept that somebody is always gonna be looking over their digital shoulder. And whether it's a parent or ultimately it's a corporation that is using their data, is that the kind of future culture that we wanna have? Or do we wanna teach them that, yes, we need to check in and have a conversation, um, but if they know that conversation's gonna happen, if they're feeling really diabolical, to use your word, Robin, well, they're gonna delete all the un, uh, unauthorized photos. But guess what? They may not remember that there's actually a deleted folder in the Android and iPhone devices mm-hmm. where you can go and look at what was recently deleted. Uh, and they know it's there if they intend to recover those photos. Uh, so there's this sort of, The internet never forgets and maybe there's a cloud backup. Maybe they've got it going to Google uh, Drive or uh, Google Photo or Dropbox or iCloud or something like that. The Things propagate in a bunch of ways. The youth are often, they haven't got the digital maturity and experience yet to know that there's other copies. Um, So I think that there's some conversations around these tricky tactics and how much they're gonna be monitored, whether it's a, a spot inspection to take a military term or uh, you know, the occasional let's uh, sit down and look at your phone. Um, it's a, it's a very much a family choice, and I I just encourage parents to think about you know what message that monitoring is sending, and and think about the maturity of their child and whether they need that handholding. Maybe they do, and if they do, then it's appropriate. Um, but if they're if you've got more trust in them, they've earned that trust, then maybe you don't need to. And so figuring out which to do and which not to do, um, well, it's up to you.
0: Well, and I think that's why it's good to have that digital contract, right? To have that conversation. So everything's out on the table. I think that it's really important that kids know what you say is okay and what's not okay, right? And that, look, if you can't use it appropriately, then we will take it away. So, you know, my, my oldest has a phone and uh, there are times where he'll message me nonstop while he's at school and I'm working, you know, and that's not okay. And sometimes his texts are not very nice because he wants something or expects something or, or whatever. And, you know, we've had to have the conversation, look, this is for communication this isn't to you know ask me a bunch of things while i'm working or call me nonstop when i'm with a client you know it's not okay to do that and and if you can't respect the way this is meant to be used then you just don't get to take it to school you know and 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 that to me is a consequence that is consequence that is related to the the uh, the technology and also related back to our values and 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 how our family works right um versus what i said earlier where you know if 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 you're giving your child a tablet too early they don't understand it and then that becomes a something you punish with, you know, I'm taking this away or you can't play this anymore or you can't do this, you know, arbitrarily. Well, I don't think that's fair, but you know, setting out, this is what's okay. This is what's not okay. Let's have a conversation. Like how come you did that? I always seek to understand when I ask my kids, like, Okay let's talk about why you did that you know instead of jumping to to rage or to alarm or whatever let's talk to our kids and ask how come let's talk to them and say, look do you understand that this has real impact um, so so I want to I, I want to ask you um, a couple last questions um one I'm really curious you know when when you say that the their digital footprint is something they need to be mindful of how do we know what anybody's digital footprint looks like? Is it a matter of just Googling your name and seeing like how, you know, when you say uh, really a corporation could be the big brother monitoring or, or or seeing you, how would they find the things that you post? What are they using to search you?
1: Well, uh, most HR departments will do a a minimum a basic search. Um, They will usually put a name in quotation marks. uh, So that. You get the, the first and last name together, or maybe it's a nickname and the surname together. You know, if you're, you're, your name is Jonathan and you go by John or something like that. Mm. Um, do that Google search with your youth right now. You might be surprised where they have made uh, errors in their privacy settings, and it could just be a matter of privacy settings. Um, it's, it, you can't always find everything about a youth because, because it's behind privacy settings. They're currently functional. You never know in the future if that data might be compromised. You never know if that application might change the way privacy works and so it becomes more visible. Um, now, when you put that name in quotation marks, and even adults, we should all do this. Um, if I put my name in quotation marks and put it into a search engine, I find mostly things about me But I also find things about 21 other Angela Crockers on the planet that I know of, and hello to them all if they're listening, which isn't (laughs) likely, but you never know. (laughs) Uh, And many of those women are amazing. They're athletes, they're lawyers, they're incredible. One of them lives in a beautiful rural place. Like I know quite a bit about these women. I've never met them, and I don't know if they've Googled and they know lots about me or been mistaken for me. Maybe that's possible, because I have a, a more public online life. Um, however, one of them has also been in jail regularly and is constantly in the courts and is, and, you know, done some pretty terrible things. Now for youth, if you can use that sort of example, like Google yourself and share with them, okay, well, this is what my online footprint looks like, my digital footprint. Um, but every little piece that we add, well, maybe they, and it's not always what they post. We have to remember that our digital footprint includes what other people post. So they may be responsible about not taking photographs at, a, say, a you know, wild riverside party. I live near a river where local youth often party. As long as they're respectful and take their trash, I'm okay with that. <laughs> However, um, that process, my kid is not part of this group. He's too young yet. But if I, he was there and he didn't take photos, but someone else did and tagged him, would that be public? Um, Our digital footprint can also be hidden behind usernames and and avatars. So my son's Instagram name is not his name. Um, His uh, Twitter handle is not his name. Um, But if a friend should post something online or a frenemy, the friend enemy, which is quite Mm -hmm. common in the youth years, uh, should post his real name and reveal that 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 persona is, is him. Well, then suddenly anything that's public on there becomes attributable to him. Um, and, and they can also be things like you know news articles, and maybe your community newspaper does an article about the success of the sports team and has a quote from your youth. That's a very admirable part of their digital footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe there's a media report that is not so good. Maybe some incident happens where they are part of it and they are quoted or observed to be participating in that online incident, and it doesn't reflect well on them. Uh, well, you have no control over the longevity of your community newspaper's online presence, at least as long as that paper continues to exist and maintain that website. Uh, so it's really, really tricky.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's that is a lot to consider for us all. For us all. That is uh, really good information. So thank you for that. Um, So so what can you leave parents with? What what final note can you can you can you leave us with to just help parents set their kids up for success online?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing you can do is communicate with your kids. Communicate your expectations. Allow them to communicate their concerns. Uh, Come together to agree on consequences or punishments, depending on what language you want to use. Um, Allow them to be part of that discussion. My son made revisions when we gave him his mobile phone. It came with a five-page contract that he had to read and sign before he was allowed to activate the phone. It was already activated because we had set it up for him. Um, But he made revisions to the contract in discussion with his dad and I. And we had to initial. He made us initial the changes that were handwritten (laughs) onto the contract um, before he would sign at the bottom line. Um, And his revisions were very appropriate. Like we had put rules around, please don't text after 9 p.m. or before 8 a.m. We thought that was an appropriate and he asked for an exception that he could text us 24-7 because what if he was in trouble and he needed to reach us? Uh, And we further revised that and added his grandfather, um, his text-savvy granddad. So he he negotiated that. So I think that communication piece, Mm. uh, if your child is able to communicate with you, uh, help them learn the language of technical Mm. life, learn the language of digital living, there's so much that goes on. And if you have that open communication with your youth, uh, everything else will go more smoothly. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you can, I'm a big advocate for documentation. Like, Don't just verbally have a family meeting and talk about it. W- who said what is gonna not necessarily be remembered six or eight months from now. But if you have something you've all put in writing, you can you can move forward. Uh, and I've made that easy for you with one of the downloads in the book so that you've got a template to work with and you're not starting from scratch going, what should I put in this contract? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I'd like to add one other piece of advice. Communication is so key, uh, but I also want parents to give themselves a break. Like we are all doing the best we can to juggle all sorts of elements of life. Uh, certainly in my life, I have had extensive elder care responsibilities. I've been the executor of two, uh, two estates. I've also written six books in the last eight years. Um, there's a lot of, professional and personal things that we are juggling as adults in addition to our parenting responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not going to be perfect parents every single day. Uh, that's just not possible. Um, but we're going to do, always, we're going to do the best that we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I certainly wish everyone listening uh, more good days than bad days and hopefully lots and lots of good days. Uh, but do cut yourself some slack and just you know, do the best that you can. And if today didn't go well with the technology and your youth, tomorrow's another day. Wake up fresh and start again.
0: Oh, beautiful message. Thank you for leaving us on that note. So communication and moms and dads, give yourself a break. It's okay. It doesn't have to look perfect. It's not supposed to be perfect. And, and you're so right. There are so many other things going on too that happen right alongside parenting. So thank you for that. Last, last final question. Where do we get your book?
1: Well, I'm really excited. Uh, Digital Life Skills for Youth is available through all sorts of retailers. Uh, If you go to AngelaCrocker.com, there's actually a page devoted to the book that has links to many of the stores that have online sales. Uh, Your local independent bookstore should be able to get it for you. It's also available at Chapters, Indigo, Barnes and Noble, every Amazon around the world. Uh, If you're in Australia, Canada, the United States, England, Uh, pretty much anywhere English language books are sold, uh, you will be able to get a copy. And uh, I certainly hope that you'll check it out. And let me know and pop me an email if you like, Angela at AngelaCrocker.com or tag me on social media on at Angela Crocker on Instagram and on Twitter. I'd be happy to answer questions and see your photos of you and your book and where you are in the world. That's always exciting for me.
0: Oh, I hope people do that. And all of that information where they can get in touch with you, get your book, absolutely uh, will be in the show notes. So uh, so thank you for your time today. I really enjoyed it. And I hope everybody listening, well, I know they got a lot out of it. And, uh, and thank you so much again. Bye for it's now. An
1: absolute pleasure. Thanks.
0: Bye.